Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello and welcome to the Pregnancy Wellness Podcast, hosted by me, Pip a practicing midwife who is on a mission to provide you with real evidence-based information about pregnancy, birth and the postpartum. Each episode, I'll be joined by special guests and leading experts to equip you with all the information you need for an empowered journey from conception right through to motherhood. So with no further ado, let's make a cuppa and get started with today's episode. So this week, it is an absolute privilege to be joined by consultant perinatal psychiatrist, Dr. Rebecca Moore. Rebecca is a mum of two and the founder of Make Birth Better, a national campaign working to raise awareness of birth trauma. Rebecca is an expert in the assessment and treatment of birth trauma with over 20 years of experience working with women and their psychological needs. Rebecca utilizes a holistic approach in her work and amongst all of the amazing things that she is doing to help support women, she is also training currently to be a yoga teacher. (laughs) Rebecca's role is expansive and incorporates working with and supporting women who have new onset or pre-existing emotional issues through pregnancy and up to a year after birth, both in the NHS and privately. This includes infertility, pregnancy loss, anxiety, depression, OCD and trauma. She's also currently a leading figure in driving the recognition and awareness around birth trauma, hosting conferences and creating networks to name just a few ways that Rebecca has been dedicated to spreading her knowledge and improving care and health outcomes for women. I'm therefore so grateful to have Rebecca and her wealth of experience and enthusiasm for this topic joining me today. So welcome, Rebecca, and thank you. Oh, thank you. Wow, that's uh, I, that doesn't sound like me. That's great. <laughs> it most definitely is you. It most definitely is. We've certainly got the, the expert on the subject, so I, I'm really grateful for your time because I know you're a very busy lady and dedicated to lots of amazing projects no you're very welcome I'm always available to kind of talk about these issues because I'm just very passionate about them so thank you for the opportunity that's brilliant and and like you say we we really need to raise awareness and kind of recognize what birth trauma is and and what it isn't I suppose as well do you mind just kind of discussing a little bit more about that 
Yeah, of course. I mean, I think that's a really good point to start from because I think depending on, on what you're reading and where you're looking, you can often see lots of different ways that trauma might be described. So, you know, you can see birth trauma or perinatal trauma or a traumatic birth. And sometimes you see a postnatal PTSD. And I think, you know, those terms are not always well defined depending on where you're looking for information. And that can be really confusing for people trying to navigate. I just want to know what's going on for me at this point. So I think when we talk about trauma, um, the key thing to think about that is related to your birth is that, you know, it's completely subjective to you and what your story and what you experienced. And that might be in pregnancy, during your birth, postnatally, or all of those things. And it might be one thing um, or it might be 10 things. So every single woman or partner indeed is going to have a different story around birth trauma but really when we're talking about trauma we're thinking about an experience that you really feel stuck on and you can't quite move beyond and that perhaps you're replaying or reliving in different ways all the time now trauma is a spectrum so you know for for a woman having a traumatic birth they might have symptoms and feelings that last them for a week or a month or a year and some of that group will go on to develop a clinical PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, but some won't. And so it's really, really important that women, you know, are able to see somebody who can confidently say to them, look, this is what is going on for you. Because otherwise, I think for a lot of women, they're left with these really big, difficult feelings and don't really know how to seek help or what to do with that. So trauma can, you know, is very common. It, it really is common for women around their maternity journey sometimes. So it's really about thinking about it as your story. And I think often there can be a difficulty with the word trauma even, because sometimes it can seem too big. And I think as women, we're really good at minimizing what we're feeling and just kind of putting our heads down and getting on with things particularly as a new mom because you sort of have to be able to do that to a certain degree um so you know if you can't perhaps think of yourself in those terms think about it as a really difficult experience that sort of feels like it's with you all the time that you can't quite get beyond it doesn't matter what you call it you know so if, if trauma doesn't feel the right thing for you you don't have to use that term also yeah that's really important because I think for women that perhaps birth trauma isn't a a kind of name that they are familiar with mm -hmm. and perhaps a name that they're more familiar with is postnatal depression but it's important I suppose that we recognize these are quite different different things aren't they yeah, they're very different. So, you know, they if you just have trauma or just have trauma, I mean, you know, that's a huge thing to be having. You will have a, a different set of symptoms and feelings usually to, to if you have a depression. And often people don't know quite what's going on, but they know that they don't feel depressed. And then it's really frustrating when people sort of are saying to them, perhaps you're depressed, which often happens, unfortunately. So, you know, they have distinct, um, 
you know, feelings and emotions and symptoms and signs associated with them that are that that sometimes overlap but are usually quite easy to distinguish. So it's really important that we get it right for women because you don't want to send somebody off down a pathway of treatment that's not right for them. You can, of course, get depressed after having had a traumatic birth, but it's important to recognize the trauma in its own right as well, because that's a big part of the picture of, you know, what you need to heal from and and process. Yeah, definitely. And we kind of alluded to the fact that actually birth trauma is quite a common thing for women to be experiencing. But given Mm. the fact that we don't generally recognize it in the same way we might recognize things like PTSD or postnatal depression. Kind of how, how common is it? And, and are we kind of underestimating, I guess, because we don't really know that we're recognizing it in all cases? Yeah, so it's very common. Um, all of the literature, and actually there's some really good studies now, um, probably underestimate so an underestimation would be that one in five women 20 percent suffer from some kind of traumatic experience around birth I think other studies you look at them and it's 40 percent it's probably somewhere in the middle (laughs) so you know for me I suspect it's probably around one in three because I think there's a big group of women that probably never get picked up or never tell anybody how they're feeling. But, you know, this is a really big group of women that are walking away from their birth experience feeling that it was very, very difficult for them. So so it is really, really common. And then certain women, you know, are more vulnerable to finding their birth traumatic. And then a proportion of the people that find birth traumatic will then go on to develop PTSD. So that's probably around 5 to 8%, again, depending on which studies you look at. But if you think about, you know, one in five to potentially one in three women giving birth on any day, walking away feeling traumatized in some way, that's really huge numbers of women. So that's why it's really, really important that we get better at thinking about this asking the questions and then knowing how to support women if they're saying yes actually that's me yeah definitely and like you say that's that's huge numbers every single day and birth go- isn't going anywhere you know it's only going to increase and therefore trauma is is going to mirror that so it's something we need to we need to work on and there's so much work that needs to be done i couldn't agree more and i think when we think of the term trauma we think of something maybe catastrophic or some major emergency or or something really alarming and out of the ordinary but but that's not the case is it because that's not necessarily happening in one to three or one to five women's birth so what what could women have that may may kind of trigger a trauma or might might feel traumatic to them yeah, so I think that is a common thing is that you know, people just say, well, isn't that to do with war or isn't that soldiers? Um, and really, you know, trauma is defined as, as an event that feels to that person completely out of control or feels where you feel utterly helpless or terrified or scared or frightened. So that doesn't, you know, need to be something like war. You know, trauma can happen after birth. It can happen after an unexpected medical illness. It could happen after a car accident, after a divorce, after a perinatal loss. You know, these are all traumas. 
and um oh, sorry I've forgotten the que- the other part of the question that you no, asked no, me no, it's, all, no, it's fine it about, I, just, I just wonder whether sort of when we think about yeah, yeah so whether that's a big emergency or whether it's something kind of my brain just went completely fuzzy no then. it's fine it's fine <laughs> Yes, so it is, you know, it is back to that subjectivity of, of that, you know, if you put 10 women who would say, yes, I found something about my birth very, very difficult and distressing and traumatic, they would all identify very, very difficult, different things. But I suppose broadly, you can think about it as being groups of thirds. So for a third of women, you know, there perhaps has been a medical emergency as part of that trauma. So something has happened, perhaps there's been a a concern about baby, or they've been rushed to theatre unexpectedly, or they've had a bleed, or they've perhaps had a tear, a physical birth injury. And then for about a third of women, it's it's something based much more around baby. So it might be that, you know, baby has been unexpectedly unwell, <clears throat> excuse me, when they've been born or they've had to go to intensive care or, you know, perhaps there's been a prior loss. So, you know, that, that group, it, it's more focused around the baby. But actually, I would say, although, you know, in the literature, it's about a third, the, the group that I most often here is about those interpersonal skills so that is very much about how you are made to feel during your birth and I think that's the bit that is probably growing and I think we can go on and talk about why that might be the case and I think that's also a a real group of opportunity where we have an opportunity to change that and reduce that trauma so that's typically women feeling alone unheard dismissed that their pain requests are not heard not met belittled that people make comments that are unkind that there's a lack of compassion there's a lack of kindness that they feel unsafe and I think you only have to look at the sort of the recent Cumberland review to 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 be able to see that that you know women's stories are often not heard or dismissed and actually those are the kind of those are you know the stories where women will be able to tell you sometimes 10 years down the line the exact comment that somebody made to them that forever loops in their head and they will never forget the way it was said to them or how it was said to them and they'll be able to tell you what that person was wearing and you know how they their face can still see their face So those interpersonal skills really, really matter. And of course, you can have a mixture of all three. So it might be that all, you know, there are different strands coming in. And I suppose the other things that kind of happen, you know, it can be if you have a very, very quick labor, you can imagine why you can feel out of control and helpless and shocked. So, you know, people delivering much more rapidly than expected or or conversely a very very long labor where you're getting very tired you feel your pain control's not being managed and then perhaps it becomes very medicalized at the very end so there are all kinds of different unique factors but I think for me the interpersonal group is certainly a group that that I hear all the time. It's very, very often about how women are being made to feel. And that is really, 
upsetting because so many of those things as professionals we really ought to be getting right and you know you would hope are part of just our day-to-day good practice if you're if you're no longer able to be kind to a woman during her birth then then we really have got some things to tackle yeah I couldn't agree more Rebecca I think that's really sad that I understand when there's the rapid birth or the emergencies that some of that trauma unpicking is really difficult to avoid and actually that support afterwards is where we need to be really concentrating but like you say those a lack of kindness or compassion um, is completely inexcusable in any kind of care setting but particularly in that maternity care setting because for these women it might be the only time especially if it is a traumatic experience that they come through our services and having a baby should be the most monumentous and beautiful experience Mm. so the idea that that this amount of women are leaving our service feeling this way it really fills me with a lot of sadness but also but also a lot of motivation with especially looking at the work that you're doing we've got to change this and we've got to get it right because we're doing women a huge injustice we can make our care as safe and as technically brilliant as we can but if we can't do that with kindness and compassion then it kind of feels wasted doesn't it Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I will talk to people where they've had this whole catalogue of things happen to them that, you know, you you think, my goodness, and actually they walk away feeling okay. And the difference is always a person, a, a human being who has sat with them, held their hand, been calm, been kind, allowed them to ask questions, explained what's going on, acknowledged that they feel frightened, you know, just been with them through that journey in a very human way um you know so these things really really matter and that's where I think you know it's so important as midwives in particular you know because I think often people underestimate that they forget the value of that in their day-to-day journey you know work because it's busy it's always the pace is always busy but you know these tiny gestures that in reality take seconds or minutes are massively powerful within trauma particularly so you know every single midwife can do so so much you know to to really improve the outcomes for women here and like you say it doesn't take a lot it is that holding someone's hand and having that eye contact and just asking them what their questions are and explaining things and making sure I guess women feel heard because especially in the the kind of rushed day-to-day services or if there is an emergency situation that can be lost and that feeling of loss of control and loss of empowerment can just have such kind of catastrophic effects for that woman going forward can't it? Yeah, really, really, really can. And, you know, has not just for the woman, but the whole ripple effect for the for the family, for the relationship, for the children, intergenerational trauma we know more about now, for future pregnancies, for potentially not having future pregnancies because your first experience has been so difficult. So, you know, these are not just events of one day. They are events over a lifetime and several lifetimes. So they really, really matter. 
Yeah, definitely. And I always try and explain to um, some of the, the students and things that come through our service because they worry worry so much and rightly so about getting certain skills down. And I say that people aren't going to remember whether their blood pressure was done on time, but they are going to remember whether that cuff was put on gently and they were chatted to and you were explaining why you did it and it was done with that kindness that costs us nothing but it's just so important. And I like to think that no one goes into a caring profession with the intention of being anything other than kind, but I think it can get just, I guess, a little bit forgotten when you're, when you're focusing on other things and we really need to remind ourselves about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a whole second conversation is that, you know, we need to look at why might it be that people working within maternity services are, are, losing the ability to be kind and compassionate because of course they're all kind and compassionate people you know they they nobody goes into that role or trains or works that hard with the intent to do harm you know they're amazing practitioners so i think the the bigger issue is why are people feeling or not able to do that consistently over time and i think you know that's a really important part of the birth trauma picture because actually what we need to do is not just care for women and their families but also be caring for our teams and I think you know we all know that there are record amounts of burnout and stress in in NHS teams, particularly in, you know, in maternity teams, there are huge rates of people leaving the profession, both in midwifery and in obstetrics. And again, we need to be thinking, why? Why is that happening? And what can we do to prevent that? And I think part of the picture is because, you know, work is always going to be busy in the NHS. You know, the pace is is very, very relentless at times. So we need to be a lot better at giving teams the support they need to maintain their own ability to be compassionate. Because of course people will get burnt out and fatigued if they're just doing, 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 doing all the time. You know, we're, we are human too. We are not machines we we are seeing things we are you know exposed to trauma in a in a in a secondary way as well so I think a, a part of the birth trauma picture needs to also be much better care and reflective practice and training and support and breaks and work-life balance you know I personally think how to manage your work-life balance is one of the greatest skills that you need to learn as a healthcare practitioner and really we should be teaching it to our students so that they learn how to do it because nobody will ever ask you to do less or take more holidays within the NHS <laughs> you know so you need to be able to learn to do that yourself you know to be able to be the best you at work yeah. and you know it took me a long time to learn how to do that myself because most of us as healthcare professionals are people pleasers we want to say yes we want to help people and that's all brilliant but you know it, it can feel like it just becomes too much so I really think that we ought to be teaching people as trainees and students how to manage that because that is actually a huge skill and quite way harder than you know it seems yeah most definitely and I think personally it's probably the only only kind of in the last year that I've learned the art of saying no and that actually mm. um 
you're, no one's actually going to be offended. I always thought people would think, oh my goodness, that's awful that, that Pip's saying no. But actually there's a line full of other people that are more than, more than happy and actually welcoming to do that particular task. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's okay to do that. And I guess it's okay to recognise as a healthcare professional that you can be traumatised from your workplace. You see some yeah. things that lots of people yeah. will never see in their lifetime. And mm-hmm. you you might see that at the end of one shift and you're back in kind of 10 hours later and there's not that time to deal with it. So actually it's okay to take that time to recognize that maybe you need some help as well. And, and I think that's something else we need to raise awareness of as well, like kind of the trauma for everybody. Yeah. So, I mean, the, you know, there's been lots of work recently around um, PTSD and, and, and trauma symptoms within uh, maternity services and I think that's very well established that you know there are quite high rates of undiagnosed PTSD in in quite a few obstetricians and midwives and again that needs to be part of being a, a completely trauma-informed service where you think about all of these different aspects and layers of trauma and you know make it more easy for people to talk about traumatic experiences have a have a team debrief have an individual debrief be able to access services without stigma themselves um and you know to really be thinking about and talking about trauma within services i think is is not really happening everywhere as yet and i think that also needs to really change yeah definitely there's massive scope to improve that isn't there and it's interesting that as as midwives and as women because we're we're not two separate entities you know (laughs) women midwives are women we're working together we're working for the same goals and we should be a team and yet we're both we're both exposed to this massive massive trauma and yet we we all share the same stigma discussing it 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 seems mad and we, we need to work on it for sure I think there's, you know, a lot of fear, understandably. And, you know, it's the same with women with perinatal mental illnesses. Many don't ever disclose because they're afraid of how they'll be judged or perceived. And I think it's very much the same for healthcare professionals. You know, they worry what will happen. You know, what will that mean for me? Will it affect my ability to progress my career? Will I be perceived differently by colleagues? Um, and, And, you know, this is a feeds into a whole broader discussion about the way we still see mental health. You know, that although there have been huge gains and strides, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, and we do talk about it a lot more openly in many ways. And I think, you know, people are more aware of the need to look after your mental health. But I still think, you know, for many people, when they actually experience it themselves, they still feel all of those feelings of shame and guilt and stigma. And so, you know, it, it's easy to be more aware, but when it actually is happening to you, I think that's a very different thing. That's true, isn't it? We almost feel like it, it, we're kind of shielded from it or, or we've got this armour where it won't affect us. And then when it does, you're like, oh my goodness, how do I deal with this, this thing that's going on? And and that can definitely be, be a massive challenge. So I wonder, is there is there kind of things that predispose um, women or, or healthcare professionals actually to trauma, kind of pre-existing mental health or, or anything yeah. else? So absolutely. So um, if you've had a, a previous PTSD, then clearly that, you know, that that is something that can make you more vulnerable. If you've had um, depression and anxiety, it makes you slightly more likely to find birth traumatic. Um, 
a group that are find birth traumatic often is is those that have a history of sexual abuse or sexual assault um and and you know they really need a lot of support and specialist birth planning really and that can really help massively to to reduce that that happening um and then you know there are certainly um there's lots of focus now on sort of women with more medical um diagnoses throughout pregnancy and how that might predispose them to finding birth traumatic so one group that you know for me i've been particularly interested in because i had this is the hyperemesis group so they are significantly much more likely to have ptsd after birth as well so yeah there's definitely you know things that we can look at in people's stories previously to think gosh yes we need to be aware of this and and not assuming that birth's going to be traumatic but thinking what are we going to do now in pregnancy to really help support you through your maternity journey so definitely all of those things for women and the same with um you know members of staff if they've had their own prior mental health um diagnosis particularly depression anxiety ptsd um, you know they can they can be much more likely to to go on and develop trauma as a result of what they're exposed to at work. The hyperemesis is really interesting, actually, because that's not a, an association you would automatically make. Is that because of the kind of I guess and more of a negative connotation in terms of the the start of their pregnancy, or is it linked to I don't know hormonal things or? I think it's, you know, as a group, because again, you you could look at the hyperemesis group and think that, you know, the care that a lot of women get with hyperemesis is very variable. Some people get an amazing service. Some people don't really get any specialist service at all. And I think, you know, as a group, most of them probably are becoming slightly depressed or anxious in pregnancy just because they're having such a tough and difficult time and then so they're sort of set up and primed to find birth difficult and you know remember they're often really physically depleted they've lost huge amounts of weight or they just physically worry that they're not going to have the strength to birth um so i think it's a whole you know mixture of things that does make it much more difficult i think alongside of that you know for a lot of the hyperemesis group they perhaps do find it difficult to connect with baby because you know there's a sort of very difficult thing of wanting to be pregnant but baby is making you feel utterly terrible so I think for a lot of women they have very mixed emotions about the pregnancy um so you can see how all of those factors combined you know would make birth quite challenging yeah I mean that's really interesting I it's the things that perhaps we might not might not have thought about but actually that's something for women to sort of bear in mind and potentially get some get some help and support I guess earlier if if that's one of the symptoms that they're unfortunately presented with and I wonder as well when especially when there is the kind of traumas where there's an emergency bed or there's a bleed or there's a complication with a baby and there is more often than not someone else looking onto that in terms of a birth partner. So do they commonly also fall into the kind of birth trauma group? Because sometimes that bird's eye view is worse than it kind of happening to yourself in a different way. Yeah. So birth partners can absolutely be affected by birth trauma and have a traumatic experience. Um, I think the data around that is 
small but rapidly growing and there's a lot of focus around making sure that we know how these experiences might feel for partners um, so there is you know a growing literature around fathers and and their own experiences of traumatic births and I think you're right you know you'll often when you speak to couples you know they will both be traumatized but they will give very subtly different sides of a story and you know women will perhaps say I don't really remember that much of that bit and then that bit will be the bit that dad watching on in the corner of the room felt most traumatized by because you can see why that would be the case you know if you feel completely powerless and helpless and you're watching your most beloved person in pain and fearing that they're at risk of, of, you know, a significant injury or even death in a worst case scenario. And I think, you know, physically dads often feel really sidelined, you know, they are often literally at the side of the room. And perhaps in that dramatic moment, people aren't really talking to them, which of course is right in that moment, because the focus has to be on mum. Or, you know, mum's been whisked off to theatre, and dad's sort of left alone in a room thinking, I don't really know what just happened there you know and often dads will talk to me about the fact that you know nobody was coming back to them they didn't know what was happening they were desperate for information you know they felt very sort of excluded from that process so yes absolutely dads can can experience trauma symptoms as well Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Definitely. My heart breaks for dads when um, wives are, uh, or partners are, are rushed off to theatre mm-hmm. and, and they're left in the room. And, and sometimes they're left in the room with this brand new baby. They've no yeah. idea what to do with mm-hmm. as well. So not only are they really concerned for their loved one who's mm-hmm. suddenly been rushed off with this massive team of strangers, they're then left with this newborn baby thinking, oh, my goodness, what, what do I do with with yeah. he or she? And and it's, it's, a, it's a lot in one go, isn't it? It's, and it's not probably not what they expected. No, I think, you know, that's often the thing. It's it's the suddenness of it and the shockingness of it and the out of orderiness of it all. And, you know, people can just, will commonly say, it just felt like I was in a dream. It just felt really surreal. I couldn't believe this was happening. It felt like an out-of-body experience sometimes or like I was watching a movie. And those are all really common descriptions of, being in shock and being traumatized in that moment and you'll often hear people saying that you know of how things began to unfold they just couldn't believe what was happening and it felt very very dreamlike yeah it's it's so challenging isn't it and I suppose for women who um have identified a birth trauma or have made that amazing brave step of seeking out help which I appreciate can be a whole other challenge in itself with anything like this but kind of what does a treatment for birth trauma kind of look like what sort of shape does that hold yeah so I think you know you're right the first step is to try and sort of gently recognize it yourself and that can be the hardest part actually because 
you know, whether you're a first time mom or a fifth, you know, you're physically depleted, you're tired, you've got a whole host of things going on. It can be really difficult to tease out, is this normal? Is this not normal feeling? So I think, you know, just starting to try to gently recognize that is a huge thing. And then it's about trying to tell somebody or let somebody know if you can or seek support from somebody else to help you get to talk to somebody. Um, you know, usually that's going to be via GP or health visitor for most women. Um, and like you said, you know, I recognize that that can be a hugely variable response. Sometimes it's brilliant. Sometimes it's terrible. And sometimes you might need to go back or, you know, you might need to, to get a second opinion. I think for some people, writing it down can be really helpful because they probably can't quite yet say it. It's too much. So, you know, you can write it and take it and show and ask somebody to read it for you. Um, and then it, you know, for me, it should be, your treatment should be completely unique for you because depending on what you need or what you feel would be helpful for you, there are lots and lots of different ways to heal from trauma. So it might be that you have some therapy with a trauma specialist offering you a specialist type of therapy. It might be that you want to take medication. It might be that you want to use exercise. It might be that you uh, just want to speak to somebody who's lived through that so you might use something online a Facebook group or a call a, hot, a helpline um, or speak to people on Instagram it's about really sort of cherry picking what you feel able to do I think social media in particular you know for all its woes <laughs> has you know in many ways been amazing for women because there are lots of beautiful spaces where women can feel very heard and very seen and very safe um and sometimes you don't have to even comment you can just be reading it and think oh right yeah I'm not alone I'm not the only one that is okay that I can heal from this so I think social media for a lot of women can be really helpful um because you know, they may not want to see a psychiatrist or, or go and seek help from a professional, but they will feel able to speak freely, anonymously online. So I think it's about choosing, you know, what feels helpful for you. I think the other thing is, you know, physically as women, I think trauma is often held very physically. So sometimes we might be reliving our trauma in our minds or our sleep or our nightmares, but we can often feel it in our body. So it might be pain around our cesarean scar or new pains or new aches or headaches or more IBS or, you know, so it's often a very bodily felt experience. So sometimes it might be physical treatments can be helpful. So whether that's exercise or you have a scar massage or see a, a, a pelvic health physiotherapist specialist. Um, sometimes it might be couple therapy. It might be that that's what you need. Or sometimes it might be parent-infant therapy. So it's about, you know, the main way it might play out is you, you can't connect to baby or you can't stop worrying about baby um so you know there are a whole host of different ways and what you know I'm always just really keen for is that women are aware of all these different ways to heal that they're not just given 
a prescription or they're not just told it's only therapy because both of those are great options but they're not the only options they should never be the only options you should be able to think about all the different aspects of your life and how you might help trauma heal yeah it's important we recognize isn't it that we're all individuals and there's never going to be a kind of one size fits all and I know women especially when they um, make that amazing brave first step of seeking help and recognizing that that there is a problem that can sometimes be really I guess confusing and complicated for you to get your head around yourself because with especially with birth trauma if you feel that something any aspect I suppose of your birth be it that there was a time when you didn't feel in control you didn't feel listened to or there was concern potentially for you or your baby's life then you have had a trauma it doesn't have to fit a specific set of symptoms doesn't it so it's I guess, a bit more vague to diagnose but if you feel there's been something that's traumatic then you mm. you have got a birth trauma and that's when it's important that we try and unpick that yeah, I mean, actually, I would challenge that, you know, from my point of view. I mean, I know I'm talking as somebody who hears these stories all the time, but actually yeah. it's not difficult to, to, to diagnose because what you have to do is listen. <laughs> what you have to do is give a woman a space and say, how was your birth? How did it feel for you? How's it feeling now? Now, that's not difficult. Uh, you know, what is difficult sometimes is giving women enough time, you know, to really hear their story and what doesn't happen for women is that opportunity often so few women are actually asked about their birth you know they're asked about their feeding they're asked about their bleeding they're asked about their contraception but they're never really meaningfully asked like how was your birth for you how are you feeling about it now and then actually what's hard for a lot of professionals and there's loads of literature to support this, and I'm talking mainly about doctors who are terrible at this, is that they interrupt. <laughs> the, you know, the average, I think there was a study done by Stanford last year where it said that in most consultations, people are interrupted after 30 seconds. Wow, yeah. Not tell a birth story in 30 seconds. So actually actively listening to women and giving them a space to unpick it all can sometimes be the only treatment that's needed because they're heard and they're validated and you know if you feel some part of your birth was was difficult or wrong or stressful or frightening that's where we start from that's your story that's never wrong you know it matters that we unpick this and we hear it and we and we give pause to it and we say I'm sorry that you know it felt like that for you and then you know you may or may not have lots of other different symptoms you know you may feel that you're kind of reliving it and replaying your birth and you just want to talk about it all the time or you you don't want to talk about it ever or you know you can't go near a hospital or you don't want to hear anybody else's birth story or you don't want to have sex because you might get pregnant again or you can't sleep because you're having nightmares. So, you know, it's actually very easy to tease out those symptoms and they are not the same as depression. So I think a big part of it has to be helping our colleagues in health visiting and general practice to feel able to do that. There's, there's a birth trauma scale now, you know, which is about the same length of time to complete as an Edinburgh postnatal depression scale, which most people feel confident using. It's very simple. So why aren't why aren't we training people to do a, 
a birth trauma scale. You know, we have a scale now specifically for birth trauma that takes, oh gosh, I would say less than five minutes to complete. So why aren't we doing this? Because, you know, I think we have got really good at diagnosing postnatal depression. That is, of course, it's important and it's so brilliant. But, you know, not all postnatal illness is depression. And, you know, we really need to be able to recognise it when it's trauma. Yeah, I think that's an amazing point, Rebecca. And kind of when I when I alluded to the kind of difficulties, I think I was thinking more from a mother's perspective yeah. than a healthcare professional, because I think I think for them to maybe identify a trauma, especially if it's mm-hmm. not something that we might consider a typical traumatic event, um, for them could be a bit more complicated. And that's where for us as healthcare professionals, we're in such a powerful position to help them recognize and identify and start a pathway, especially in that first postpartum period when we're having regular, regular kind of contact with women. So they haven't then got to make that step of going and accessing someone independently. We can kind of trigger that pathway for them, and which surely has only kind of got to help them to, to seek treatment early. I think, you know, so I'd say to women, you know, it probably goes two ways. And think of this, this is very simplistic. But, you know, if your birth, either two things, one, you just cannot think about it at all or talk about it. And you're trying so hard not to think about it or talk about it, because whenever you do, you just feel really overwhelmingly distressed. That's one thing that might suggest that it's been a a traumatic experience for you. The other is the other way around, where you literally cannot stop thinking about it to the degree that it feels like it's in your mind all the time, like you can't stop talking about it. You want to replay it and relive it over and over and over again to a degree where you can't really be in the here and now because you're just thinking about it all the time. Now, those are two fairly easy ways that you or your partner or your family or those around you might just think gosh this is still happening like three months down the line maybe we should just have a think about that with somebody that can really sit and think about it with us so I think they're you know two quite good ways to think about you know so it's not that you're feeling low all the time that you don't want to go out that you're not enjoying things it, it it's that you cannot really think about your birth or you're always thinking about your birth and that might be you know at 3 months 4 months 5 months you know and that is telling you something that is telling you that there is just something there that would be really helpful to think about with somebody and explore yeah, that's really useful, Rebecca. And especially when you we talk about the time scale, and actually there isn't a time scale. It could be imminent or it could be later on or or after another pregnancy. Sometimes that that fear of having to go through the experience again can kind of start to trigger things. And I can imagine for women who have either of those kind of experiences on that that spectrum or kind of anything in between, I suppose, the impact that would have on their bonding with their baby and actually the strains and things on their relationship could be could be quite large as well yeah I think it's massive so I think you know and I think it's really it's so difficult for women because you know you're often left in a position where you're absolutely mourning and grieving your birth experience 
whilst also loving your baby, but but your baby is so linked <laughs> to your birth experience that it can be hard to sort of unpick that as your story together. So often, you know, women will struggle to connect or they will be sort of over-connected and think something else bad is going to happen. So I need to check my baby all the time. I'm getting up to check their breathing. I don't want anybody else to hold them. I don't want to ever leave them alone. So it can have really huge, you know, effect for that bond with mum and baby, all of which, you know, is really easy to help you know, soothe and promote and connect. And, you know, you know, invariably women are doing a brilliant job of doing it, the parenting bit, but it's just so hard to hold all those conflicting feelings and emotions at the same time. Um, and then with partners, I think, you know, it's often after a trauma, you can often feel really irritable and angry that this has happened to you. And so, you know, who lives with you all the time? your partner so you tend to you know see people arguing or being irritable or you know sometimes it, it can be uh, you know really difficult sort of in your sexual relationship because like I said you're frightened of getting pregnant again or you know for some women it can feel like it was very very difficult in that time where people were touching you you know, that part of your birth where people were touching your tummy and were examining you and were, um, and then you tie that with something sexual, you know, so sometimes for women, it's if their partner touches them in a certain place during sex, it can be really triggering and can make them feel like they're back giving birth again. So there can be really huge sexual um, impact for couples it's often that you know women delay having a, a, another pregnancy a lot longer when they've had a traumatic experience or it might be that you know it plays out in your work in that you don't you know I've seen people where they were paramedics or doctors or midwives and don't feel able to go back to work because they've had that experience and feel that they've lost their confidence so it can really ripple out in in so many ways um, you know, again, that you really need to be able to get treatment going and, and stop that. And that kind of, it really alludes to kind of the, the enormity of the issue if, if we're not detecting it and, and oh, correcting it. Yeah. So I suppose the, the, the ideal is that we work to prevent birth trauma. And yeah. I know we kind of alluded to the things around kind of compassion and kindness for women. And anyone that follows me on social media will understand um, my kind of enthusiasm for antenatal education, because I think mm. we can really do women a massive injustice by sometimes educating in a really unrealistic way or a very idealistic way. So that actually when it comes to the kind of twists and turns of labour, because unfortunately these babies tend to make the rules, don't they? And we kind of, to some extent, are led by them. But it means it's really difficult for women to make a really informed and empowered choice if the information they've been given in that prenatal period isn't isn't supporting the real kind of everyday evidence and and the things that are going on for them at that time so that can really I think exacerbate that kind of loss of control feeling mm, yeah I completely agree so I think you know a, a, a thing that needs to change and will help reduce trauma for some women is how we 
provide antenatal education. So I think it is absolutely that about having more realistic discussions. And I think it's about thinking with women about all the the what ifs. So you don't just have a plan A, you have a plan A to Z. And you think about, you know, if I need to go to theatre, what might that look like? How might I feel in control? So it's about hearing the full range of birth stories. It's about breaking down this sort of horrible narrative of this being all good or this being all bad and it being actually for all of us it's somewhere in between um and you know it's hearing all the birth stories so that people are aware in a way that is not frightening but like you say empowering and I really think that you know a missing part of that picture is partners and that they need to be more fully involved. And I think also it's always about women and their partners having these discussions of if during birth, temporarily, I'm really exhausted and tired and can't advocate for myself, can you do that for me? And how do I want that to look? And what do I want to happen? Um, because often that those discussions haven't been had through no fault of women and their partners, I think we need to be talking about this. Um, I think that, you know, the other thing that should be running alongside that and would help enormously would be continuity of care. So you have the same person each time so that you do have a space to ask questions that you might feel silly asking to somebody that you've never met before, um, that you, you know, can be open and honest. And, you know, ideally that person is with you at birth as well as antenatally. I mean, that's the the dream scenario really, isn't it? Yeah, is that you course. just have a named midwife who is your midwife through the entire journey. And my gosh, that would reduce a lot of trauma for people in one fell swoop I think the other thing is I really want women and their partners to feel able to challenge care more that that's being difficult that that's not being a pain that that is your right and that if you feel somebody you just don't gel or they're not the kind of compassionate person that you want or that you know you just have this sixth sense or instinct that they're not going to be the right person for you, that you feel able to say that at any stage of your maternity journey and that that is your right. That's not you being difficult. Um, and I think, you know, most people feel very w worried to do that because most people are lovely and they don't want to be seen to be difficult, but I want them to be difficult and know that that's okay. Um, so I think, you know, if you had all of those different things going on, I think the other thing is, you know, is about, the way we do consent, you know, I, I think that if we could have more discussions about consent before we got to birth and had uh, thought about emergency scenarios in a sort of proactive way, I think that could be really helpful for women. Um, so there are so many things that we can do, um, but I really think it's going to take a whole shift of how we provide education and a whole sort of cultural shift around um how we do this i mean ultimately really it should be the women that are in charge and in control at every single step we should be just there for, to facilitate and provide that and i think you know we just aren't there yet 
I mean, we're way better than, say, the States, you know, in, in the way we do that. We have, you know, much more of a midwifery-led model of care for most women, which is brilliant. But I think it can still get far too patriarchal and there are still far too many women being told what they should and could do. And I, and I want that to stop. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think it's all about preparing women as opposed to scaring them. So it's the, the kind of exploring, okay, so for example, if you did have to go for an emergency section and things were moving quite quickly, what would still make you feel in control? And that might mm-hmm. be a simple thing, like when you leave that room and there's really bright lights, closing your eyes taking your music with you those small small things that you can transport throughout your birth journey wherever whatever setting that might be or whatever's happening to you at that point and as I say using your voice like it's so powerful so Mm -hmm. just to say why or can you explain that to me and Mm -hmm. people aren't going to get upset and I think women feel suddenly like if if a doctor comes in the room or something um, becomes less normal or away from their birth plan that they have to kind of shrink into the corner and just accept it. And that's so not the way it should be at all. But I think I also want to say that, you know, it shouldn't just be on the woman because, you know, I think of my own labours, you know, and I'm medical and fairly droppy. And, you know, by the end of my labour, I was so exhausted and in so much pain and so tired. I was like 40 hours into a labour that I know I could not have the normal discussions that I would be saying of what are you doing that for? Why are you doing that for? So it has to be partners as well. I don't want women to feel that they have to take this all on themselves and are responsible for it all themselves. So it has to be women plus partner. And also ideally, you know, whoever's with them as the professional. Um, Because I really don't want women to feel that, you know, uh, or I suppose, you know, I hear from women a lot that they say, I'm normally so confident, I'm normally so good, and I just lost my voice. And then they really beat themselves up about that. And it's like, yes, you, you know, you did so well at that moment where you had been in pain and not slept for 18 hours, that that is in no way a failure. But so I really want the onus to be honest, all, not just the woman. Absolutely, it's got to be a team thing, and and mm-hmm. I guess the the ideal scenario and what we should be looking at as as standard for everybody's care is that everybody in that room understands the options, the recommendations, what the woman's and and their birth partner's heads are at, and what their choices are, and that everyone understands the kind of what ifs and the whys and the the plan for going forward, and that we do that as a team. Um, and yeah, I do think that, that that antenatal period is a really golden time to get a lot of that baseline information in so that we're kind of all starting, I suppose, at the same same place as, as birth progresses and, and exploring things as it changes because things do change quite quickly sometimes. So having that flexibility and that pre-understanding is really important and for women to understand that everything is a recommendation. We explain the kind of risks and the benefits and then it's their informed choice and they should be supported in whatever that might look like for them. Mm -hmm. And I think even, you know, in an emergency situation, you know, I, 
you know, I hear people say this all the time, well, you know, it's an emergency. And, you know, I think you know that there are so few emergencies where you still haven't got a few minutes. You know, even if somebody's going to theatre, it, it's rare that it, they literally go in that second. You know, there's usually a tiny window. So we can still be explaining and talking. You can be running along a corridor by a bed and still speaking to somebody and I think that's the bit that often also gets missed is that I understand that it's an emergency and that you know there's of course that safety of mum and baby is paramount but even within those very emergency situations there are lots of people that you know lots of things that we can do like I've heard people speak of the way their anaesthetist spoke to them in theatre that's literally made me want to cry because it's been so amazingly wonderful and you know they've just said I felt like they just had me and I felt so safe even though I felt so afraid you know so tiny things again language communication the way you look at somebody smiling at somebody holding their hands you know they they feel like tiny gestures but they're not they're monumental gestures yeah, absolutely. And I think it is those those small acts. I know for sure when we've had some some emergencies, I've been putting ladies' stockings on and, and having eye contact and explaining things. And it might be that you are multitasking because time isn't on your side, but there is always that opportunity just to catch eye contact and have those few yeah. moments of, do you understand what's happening? Is this yeah. is this what you want? And I think in those emergency situations when women feel out of control, it's for them to realise that actually... They may have been informed that there's a concern about their baby and the recommendation is to deliver via an emergency cesarean section, but they're in control because it's their body. So they're ultimately making Mm. that decision. And although they may feel like there's not much for decision to to be made because the alternative is is quite catastrophic, they are still making that decision. And it's a, a really difficult and challenging decision, but they are in control of that and it's their body. Mm-hmm. no I completely agree yeah so I suppose for um for women who feel that they might be suffering a a birth trauma would the kind of initial signposting place that by their GP are there any kind of services or resources available they could kind of speak to yeah so to? yeah of course see their GP or speak to their health visitor um you know if you don't want to go down that route yet there's a really you know lovely Facebook group with the birth trauma association you can look at make birth better like particularly on instagram there's a really supportive community there where you know people are at different stages of their journey and their healing and you know we'll we'll be able to give advice and support um you could also you know um look at some of our crib sheets we have lots of free downloadable crib sheets that explain things like what is trauma how might it feel and you know sometimes you can print those out and take them with you to your GP just to help sort of start a discussion around look I think this might be happening for me and um, there's lots and lots of crib sheets there around everything there's one for partners too there's one about you know how it might feel for you and baby so there's lots and lots of resources there um, which can be really really helpful. Amazing. And I, anyone that, that comes on the podcast, Rebecca, I always ask for three kind of top tips or suggestions for a woman who may be listening to us now, who thinks that perhaps maybe they can recognise they've got a birth trauma potentially for the first time or something they're dealing with. So what would be your, your three top tips? 
Gosh, I know. To put you on the spot. (laughs) Um, So I would say, you know, know that there is help out there. Know that you can get better. And know that it's never your fault. I love that. It's really powerful. Thank you so much for your time. And I always love speaking to you. And I hope that this can form another little part in that puzzle of just raising the awareness and getting everybody talking and recognizing and working to prevent birth trauma for all these amazing women out there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think do, do if you've had a traumatic birth and, you know, you, you, you are feeling sort of out there today not knowing what to do, then, you know, you can always message us at Make Birth Better. Um, we can't give, you know, specific clinical advice, but we can often and do often, you know, signpost women to sort of roots of support. And we have women contacting us from all across the UK and increasingly from all across the world, actually. Um, you know, so please do feel able to do that, do, you know, or ask us questions. Nothing is silly. Nothing is stupid. You know, we are not there to judge you. We are just there to give support. Amazing. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it. If you found it helpful, then please hit subscribe and leave a review. It really does make a huge difference to the number of women we can reach out to and empower. For daily free information, inspiration, or details on our bespoke antenatal education, head over to my Instagram page, at midwife underscore pip. Thank you and see you next time. Hi, my name is Kay Adams and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process. So I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.